Welcome to the Ripple of Change podcast, Searching for Our Quadruple Aim, where we highlight, celebrate, and extol others creating positive change in healthcare and beyond. And today is definitely one of those beyonds, so I'm super excited for this episode. Again, I'm your host, Dr. Otten. Uh, today with me, we have Mike Neubauer and Nate Cranell. No, I did it wrong. Cranell. <laughs> he even told me to make it sound like flannel, and I still screwed it up. That's we'll probably right. just keep this as it is because the people people like the the fact that we're all human beings and we make mistakes and it is what it is, right? Um, but today we're going to talk about why creating wealth isn't selfish. Uh, these two gentlemen are with Grand Vision Capital, uh, who I've gotten to be familiar with over the recent months, uh, and I will be speaking at the uh, Physicians Financial Summit uh, on a um, a panel in March, March 9th and 10th. So I'm excited for that as well. So without further ado, um, I'm going to turn it over to Nate, and we're going to jump into things, even though I completely screwed up his last name. <laughs> That's all right. Well, thanks for th thanks for the introduction, Todd. I appreciate that. Uh, as half gone as it was, uh, that's okay. <laughs> uh, yes, we have Mike here today. And I do want to put a lot of this on Mike. Todd, you obviously have this Ripple of Change podcast, which is fantastic. I have the Doctors and Dollars podcast, uh, which a lot of physicians are going to be familiar with. So we're, we're used to hosting uh, and, and talking to guests. And, and I want to keep that theme going. Because you made me co-host, I'm going to kind of put you in the hot seat as well, Todd. Love it. Uh, you probably love didn't it. know that was coming, but... No, but I love it. it. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So you, you said earlier, uh, why creating wealth isn't selfish. I think that concept is bespoke a lot upon a lot of people. We were just talking offline how people hear rich or they hear wealth or they hear something exuberant when it relates to money and finances. And, and there's like a negative connotation behind it. Uh, and so I definitely want to talk about that today of why that is not the case and why many people who do build wealth do great things. They create a lot of change. They create a lot of impact uh, in many lives because they had built wealth. Uh, and so that's why you know I really just want to run through that today. And I guess for Mike, first thing I want to talk about with you, uh, being CEO of Grand Vision Capital, I mean, we've put together a, a pretty cool thing, you know, over the last uh, year or so. But a big thing that is is important for you and, and thing that you and I talk about all the time is that money is a tool, right? Why is why is money a tool? And, and how can you use money as a tool to create wealth to then create change? Yeah, I think I guess uh, that's one of the kind of misunderstood things, right? Is people people don't realize that it's a tool. We recognize other tools as tools, you know, but you make a silly analogy and say like, if you had a war chest full of hammers, you know, that's a store of value. You could sell those hammers, but you don't feel rich because you have a store of hammers. You build a lot of money. You feel like that means something. It really means nothing more. Money is simply a store of value. Anything you could have gold, you could have comic books like Todd, whatever you use to store your value is the same thing. Money is just kind of the de facto that everybody accepts as a common store of value. Um, but for, you you know, I think a lot of the beliefs come from our childhood. For some reason, the word money, you know, just intrigues right out of the gate, a certain response from everybody's kind of subconscious thought. If they grew up where money was talked about, it was comfortable. That perceives one you know, thought in their brain. If they grew up without money, they have a very different mindset. If they grew up with a lot of money, a very different mindset. So because money is the common store of wealth among everybody, this common store of value, um, it's something that everybody has. Everybody has their own personal beliefs on it. And unfortunately, because a lot of people are on the receiving end of maybe greed or misuse of that tool of money, they'd start to develop the idea that money is bad. But that'd be like saying a poor carpenter 
blaming the hammer when it's really the individual misusing the tool. So I think that's kind of the basics of it is just that analogy is the misuse of the tool. The person is, is the problem, not the tool, you know? That I got. I'm going to chime in already, just because I can't help myself. And I suppose technically this is my show, so I can probably <laughs> do whatever I want. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, that's fantastic. And I think you know your comments about greed, particularly in the healthcare space, have really led to a lot of the the mess that we're we're in. And 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 I don't want to go down that rabbit hole per se, but you know, in, in Ripple of Change, I talk about fraud, waste, and abuse. And I think you could really lump a lot of those and with, with greed as well. And, and it, it's unfortunate, you know, that, that we're at a stage where oftentimes profits are more important than people and we need to reverse that. Um, so there's my mini dialogue. Uh, yeah. Back to you, Nate. No, I mean, back, it, with back, that, you, Mike, uh, or back to one of you. <laughs> yeah, no, with that, I mean, in the healthcare world, a lot of people, you know, we talked to a lot of physicians and there is that, that upsetness with big business, private equity insurance. But the truth of the matter is, they are responsible to their shareholders. Their sole job is to increase profit for their shareholders to gain more money. And they're looking at what they simply see as the inefficiencies. They don't look through it from the lens of a physician where you're looking focused on patient care and patient outcome. They're looking through the lens of where are we inefficient with the use of money? How can we create more profit? And it's a totally different lens that we're viewing the same issues from and one side views it one way. You know, I'm sure if you talk to big business and private equity, they probably view uh, a lot of physicians as very inefficient. You don't need to spend more time with a patient because you're wasting money. They're viewing it through that lens. And then the physician who's not profit focused is viewing it from the totally opposing lens of saying that extra five minutes in the room may make a difference. If I can get that patient to receive what I'm saying in that way, I can change their outcome. You know, so there's different motives and there's no doubt there's greed in there. There is no doubt there's bad human beings on all sides. There's bad doctors out there that, you know, misuse oh, yeah. their use. Yep. There's bad people on the business side. But the reality is we all have a we all view the same issues through a totally different lens. And we all have way different experiences that have casted our beliefs as adults now in how we view these issues. So the same issue could be viewed from probably, two, you know, we're talking two different sides. There's probably 20 different sides, you know, big business yeah. and health insurance probably views it different. A surgeon versus family medicine probably views things different. You know, there's always going to be these different um, experience and beliefs. And what comes down to is, um, you know, like I said, that money becomes a tool that is labeled as the problem. And it's just the tool that's in the middle, you know, kind of stuck in the middle. If, if we took that out and used any other thing, like I said, if we had a bunch of carpenters and we, we wouldn't blame the hammer, you know, even though we had a plumber saying that that carpenters are not needed and they're greedy and the electrician saying that's really where, you know, the work gets done. You know, if we, if we use analogies to remove ourselves from the idea of money, it's easier to understand those basic concepts. This is really interesting. And I think you make a good point with the different lens. And, and I talk about, you know, I go back to the book a lot because obviously I'm, I'm biased with it, but you know, the lens of our quadruple aim, I think has the potential to be a great equalizer in that regard. You know, the reality is we can't have patients being seen as widgets and doctors being seen as work on working on an assembly line, you know, because that has led to a lot of the problems that we're at now. But I'd like to shift gears maybe back and, and, and then I'll throw it over. Nate. I read your article this morning. I can't remember the title, but uh, I'm pulling it up. Why many physicians will get crushed by Wall Street and private equity. And I thought it was fantastic, Mike. I, I had, there were so many great takeaways in there. Um, so kudos for that. Um, and I think it speaks to what you were talking about those different lenses there and, and, and how we can maybe tweak that going forward, or I'd like to tweak that going forward or maybe blow it up. Um, yeah. Anyways. 
I think the biggest thing, um, you know, what the message, we work with a lot of people. We, honestly, most of the people we work with in Grand Vision are not physicians. The only reason we're working with physicians is to try to help them view from the other side and give them a leg up. Because, you know, just like that article, the goal is to help physicians see through that other lens. If you simply focus on your lens and ignore what private business is looking at, what health insurance is looking at, and you disregard them as being wrong and you're just mad at them and you don't take a step back and say, what if I look through their lens? How do they mm -hmm. view this? You're going to miss the boat. You're never going to understand. And the reality is if you don't understand their lens, you're going, you're not going to be able to compete because you have to see why they're making decisions. They are how they're making the decisions. They are if you want to compete at that level. Well, that's interesting. Oh man, this is this is great. I I love this. We're already fired up, and it's like five minutes into it. Um, yeah, I'll give you an example, man. I'll I'll give you a personal example of my life. So I don't pay income taxes. People believe that I'm lying, and I'm like, I really don't pay income taxes. But that started. I was sitting there when Donald Trump refused to, and I don't care if you like Trump, Biden, it does not matter, but Donald Trump refused to release his tax returns, and everybody was mad, and it's fraud, and I was like that guy doesn't pay taxes. There's no way that guy pays taxes. That's why he won't release it. And instead of being mad, like 90, well, not 90%, probably 50% of America, you know, we're almost perfectly equally divided. Instead of being mad about it, I was like, how the heck does he do that? I got to see through his lens. How does he do this? Because it's not illegal. If it was illegal, he wouldn't be running for president and putting it out there. It's got to be legal technically, you know, and how does he, how does he do this? And that was basically the last year that I paid taxes because I learned how he uses real estate and depreciation yeah. and offsets, passive gains or passive losses. Well, 50% of America was just mad about it and they're still paying taxes because they were more mad at Trump than they cared to find out how he did it or look through the lens of how he accomplishes to pay zero taxes. Well, this is this is interesting because I it's um I was wondering what podcast episode we were going to get Donald Trump's name involved and it's not there official. You go. It's podcast episode number 13. <laughs> this will get your viewers and haters right out of the gate just for putting no. that in the title. Uh, oh. 50% <laughs> uh, of America will hate you, 50% will love you. Oh boy, Nate, do you want to uh, do you want to chime in and, and, and get us back on track here, my friend? I, w I was just going to ask if you wanted me to record the disclaimer that you're going to put on the end of this episode that says the party affiliations discussed in this episode are not that of the host. <laughs> well, I don't think we've actually disclosed any. Uh, uh, yeah, that's true. Affiliations to this point, and we we kind of danced around that, uh, uh, you know, in a nice fashion, if you will. But I yeah, yeah take go go ahead, Nate, take back over. Uh, I, I keep de derailing this on you. No, I think we're good. I, where I was going to go with it was was really around something that's going to be a common theme at the Physicians Financial Summit on March 9th and 10th is, and, and Mike alluded to it earlier, is, is getting doctors in the same mindset and the same playing field as those that are already building wealth or those that have built wealth. We just we have seen with with the countless conversations that we've had with physicians that their mindset around money and building wealth and finance in general is different. You know, I, I would almost call it like a, a lower middle class mindset. Like yeah. you know, a lot of them are still in that, hey, I'm at a res or I'm making residency money or I'm in those first couple of years of attending and I've got all this money and I want to go out and spend it like crazy. There's not the wealth building mindset. And so redirecting their cognitive process to understand, hey, there are ways to do this. There are good ways to do this to greatly impact your family. And to, like Mike's point, technically, it, it is all legal. And there are ways to do it. And there are ways to pay less tax. And there are ways to build wealth without having to work 100 hours a week. 
And so that's that's really what what I hope everyone gets out of that summit. And that's what I hope we can talk about a little bit today. I love that. Um, and, you know, I, I might be in a little bit different category than a lot of my colleagues in that regard, because I mm -hmm. have a, a super high risk tolerance with some of these things and have dabbled with some different endeavors, uh, you know, investment clubs and, and cryptocurrency and, and getting in on companies a little bit further and, you know, like the B series and that kind of thing. But I agree with you. I think if we can educate our colleagues to have a little bit different mindset with how they use their money and start to use it as a tool to create more passive income, I think it will allow many of my colleagues to truly get back to that joy in delivering care. Maybe you don't need to see as many patients. Maybe you can move towards advocacy work and, and towards uh, activating others, or perhaps you want to work on policy change or all those kinds of things. If you, if you, if the money's there, as a tool to support your family in whatever capacity uh, that may be, then you can do the things you like, like what I'm doing. In, in, in all truth of the matter, I'm probably gonna do a little bit of direct primary care in the near future um, because I, I miss seeing patients primarily. I mean, that's- Well, I hope you could practice in Indiana, man. <laughs> I, uh, well, maybe, I don't know. At this point, I'm gonna be probably sticking in Michigan, but um, you know, the group I think I'm gonna connect with, they're a very forward thinking group of physicians and they do some amazing things. And so I don't wanna get the carpet for the horse because you know, there isn't uh, ink on the paper, so to speak, but it's exciting to be a part of a group that thinks outside of the box and, and thinks about how do you use money as a tool to deliver value-based care and do the right things for, for patients. So I, I agree with you, Mike, did you want to chime in on this a little bit? Yeah, I will. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, the biggest thing is to be the best physician, you can't have money held over your head. And that's really what I think most physicians get upset about is they're forced into these situations. So they're upset about the changes in healthcare, but they also know financially there's only so much they can do because they need the paycheck. They have the bills, they need the paycheck, they have the um, contracts that have signed. So maybe you can't just go work for the neighboring hospital. You'd actually have to move, uh, you know, to go get another job. You can't speak your mind to the boss or to the, you know, big brother, if you will, because you can't afford to lose that paycheck. Life changes, man. When I when I got to a point where like I didn't <clears throat> need to make money anymore, I got way more confident in my beliefs. Um, you know, I got way more willing to share what I thought and share where things were unfair because I couldn't lose my job anymore. And if I did, it didn't matter because I had the money, you know, to avoid it now. So that's the biggest thing is I think a lot of people don't realize is the ability to make change when that's being held over your head, your paycheck, and you have to only speak up maybe 70% because you can't risk losing your job. You have to speak up 70% because your family relies on that paycheck. It's a way different game when you get control of your mm -hmm. money and now you have 100% control and somebody does something wrong. You are the one that has full confidence to step up and say, that's not right. And I'm not putting up with it. And if the boss says, and you're not going to work here, you say, that's fine because I don't work for somebody that does things that way. And you can walk away and not financially harm your family, you know, and you right. can then be the best advocate for your patient. You can be the best performing person because you don't have the stress of financial. You could be the best practicing physician, best surgeon. You know, when you start removing finances cause a lot of stress in people and it causes, you know, I call it like a lot of soul suppression because when you can't go out there and speak 100% confidently, you have to suppress your soul. You could believe in your heart 100%, but when it's time to actually speak up, it's like, I can't afford to to speak up 100% because I need this paycheck, you know? So I think that's the biggest thing is when you gain control of your finances, the true you, the true Todd Ott and the true Nate Crandall, true Mike Neubauer, the true soul inside is able to come out and speak because finances are no longer held over your head. I I, that's, stuff. I agree. I There's two key components to that. I think that the gold, interestingly enough, you know, sort of the, the golden handcuffs, if you will, 
I think if physicians really think about it, they that doesn't have to be a barrier to change. I'm, you know, the reality is for most of us, I mean, you could throw a dart at a map and get a job, you know, and, and there's so many people out there willing to help in that capacity. So I don't, you know, I, I agree with you. I think a lot of people are afraid because they don't have the quote unquote FU money. But at the same time, I don't know that they really, I don't know that you need to have that. Uh, you have to have a little bit of risk tolerance to, to make that change. So yeah, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting phenomenon. I hear it all the time. I can't leave because, you know, I got I got to get the paycheck and so on and so forth. And I'm thinking like you're a you're a family physician. You can go anywhere like and do mm -hmm. anything like you know. And not only that, you'll probably get a big signing bonus to do it. You know, so it's kind of it's it's very interesting phenomenon. For what's sure, the, man. Yeah. What's the ratio, Todd, of physicians in private practice versus physicians in the hospital systems? Oh, that's a good question. And I, I don't have an exact number in my head. I, I think it's moving in the, I want to say 25 to 30% range are still in private practice and the rest are employed or in some other model. I, I actually think in my prediction going forward is we're going to see that start to change a little bit. And to take it one step further, I think we're going to see a lot more physicians start to dabble in direct primary care, where they get rid of a lot of that administrative burden related to insurances and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, so hopefully that gives you a good idea where it's at now. I yeah, think that's actually, even, with that, even with that question, though, you know, a lot of it too, you see a lot of the changes is if you say working for a hospital used to mean you're an employee, but now, you know, the private equity is buying up a lot of private practices. You know, a lot of the physicians we talk to have recently sold the private practice to the private equity, you know, and so that idea of like private practice giving autonomy is quickly fading. You know, it's all just becoming one big umbrella of you can call it private practice because you don't work, you know, mm -hmm. you work in your own clinic, but you're still, you know, it's still owned and run by Wall Street, you know? Yeah, I think trying to find the balance here from a profitability perspective is going to be super important because I've heard some absolute well, and they're all over the place, horror stories, clinics being bought up by private equity and what has occurred. And a lot of that's not sustainable. If you're, you know, continuing to try and squeeze the margin, it's going to negatively impact patient care for sure. And you're going to lose, you're going to lose physicians or clinicians. And so, but let's that, not go too far down that rabbit hole, I suppose, because that, that could spark some emotions. This might be a good opportunity for uh, a ripple challenge question. And I've got two keyed up. I was kind of debating which one to go with first. I think um, this is straightforward. Uh, you know, you respond any way you want. So we'll start. Why don't we start with Nate? Bitcoin or Ethereum? Ethereum. Mike? That is way out of my wheelhouse, man. I would be. It'd be it's like, okay to uh, guess. It'd be like black or red playing roulette for me, man. I don't know crypto at all. So I would well, say this is what I would say is Bitcoin obviously is the granddaddy running uh, ahead. That makes me a little nervous just because it's the biggest player out there. I think crypto obviously has a huge future. I just don't know enough about it to know. But it does definitely make me nervous that Bitcoin is so far ahead. Like, I feel like I like rooting for the underdog just generally. So that's the only reason I'd say Ethereum. But I have zero knowledge on it. <laughs> This is great, though. I mean, I, it, there's definitely an opportunity here. I think both of those uh, assets are going to be winners going forward. And there definitely is a distinction between the two. You know, Bitcoin truly is, is seen as a store of value. It's seen as like digital gold, right? And I don't foresee that going away for a multitude of reasons, and we don't need to get into that. But, you know, from a utility perspective and you, its utilization in gas and all the projects attached to Ethereum, I do think Ethereum is going to be a, a, a better pick long term. But exactly. either way, if you're new to the crypto space, 
like you said, you could pick black or red. And if you looked at it 10 years from now, I think you're going to be happy if you picked either one of those. Um, yeah. So, I think, yeah, that's exactly why I gave that answer, just because I know that all the use cases that are behind Ethereum and, and what it's currently being used for versus Bitcoin just being a, uh, well, Mike was talking about analogies earlier. And, and Mike said, like, him and I talk all day, every day. And we usually talk in analogies just because that's the best way to do it. But like, when you first asked me that question, my first thought was Ethereum because of the use case. And I always, my first thought then was think of Bitcoin as like Tom Cruise in movies. Like he's the most well-known. He does all the big action movies. Everybody knows who Tom Cruise is. Ethereum is like Daniel Day-Lewis. Like that guy just goes hard into his, uh, he's a method actor. He does a lot of different things. He's been, you know, he's played Jesus Christ and he's played a mobster in a movie. Like he, he can go on both ends. And so that's why I think that, that Ethereum just to kind of, end this type of uh in this topic is is that it's it's use cases are going to be more widely known i'd say in the next five years and bitcoin will still be known as like the digital gold if you hold bitcoin yeah. you just have you have value sitting inside a hard drive somewhere yeah for sure I, it's it's a fascinating landscape with without a doubt i nate i'm not sure you put me on the hot seat yet i feel like most of these questions i was <laughs> semi-prepared for or let yeah. at least at some I, I i'm ready for it man like okay Fire away, and, uh, and I'll we'll just edit it out if I can't answer it. You bet. So, uh, you were you were in my podcast back in fall of 2023. Since that time, you've had a lot of great conversations. You've started the Ripple of Change podcast. Uh, I know you've been uh, a speaker at different events. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned from someone else on being a difference maker and impacting others? Oh wow. We could probably come up with a, a whole list here since we last talked. Since we had our, our yeah, no, for sure. Talk. And I and I'm thinking maybe I'll go with one of the more recent lessons, if you will, and a little bit from my personal life, and and talked about it with um, just a lot of people. You know that that self compassion to be a great leader, like you have to be taking care of yourself. You have to be forgiving. You have to realize that we we all make mistakes. And, you know, many of us are perfectionists and type A and, and all those kinds of things. But there's going to be errors along the way. There's going to be speed bumps. And you have to you have to be able to say, you know what, I, I made a mistake. I'm going to own it and I'm going to try and do better. And I, I think that's one of the biggest lessons that's really come to me, you know, even in the last couple of weeks is, is self-compassion. So important. And, you know, you mentioned, I think, Druva Gular, who's the, the physician that raps and it's fantastic. That That's his shtick, you know, is self-compassion. And, and he went from a, you know, sort of a mess of substance abuse and and so on and so forth. And, and really has come a long way. So I'm going to go with that one for today. How about you, Mike? Same question for you. Biggest lesson that I've learned? Yep. I mean, dude, putting on this Physicians Financial Summit, to be totally honest, has been like the <laughs> hardest thing. I've never put on an event before. I've never had to sell tickets to something. I've never had to do anything like this. So I think that's the biggest lesson that I've learned is I see a lot of people doing very well. And when I think back in my earlier real estate days, I remember this, you know, the first house I did was the hardest one, the first apartment complex I bought. But you get, you kind of get used to that success and you forget that it took five years to do it. It took 10 mm -hmm. years to accomplish it. And then you see somebody doing what you want to be doing and they're doing it so well. And you kind of expect that it's going that they make it look easy because they're so good at it. You don't see all that grind over the last five years. So just accepting and kind of realizing that they're like as great as you want things to be. There's a grind period. There's a learning period. There's a time when you build the foundation. And that is the hardest part. And you have to realize that 
even though that's the hardest part, that's the most necessary. And the, the only way to build something for the future is to put in the time to get that foundation built. But it is not easy, man. It is a mental and physical and emotional struggle to get all that foundation laid. So I hope I remember that for the next thing that I do ever in my life when it's like the next big moment that I remember that like this is going to be hot, tough, you know. Uh, this is this is fantastic. And I'm going to chime in here for just a second. I, you know, Mike, I could have told you that getting physicians together was like herding cats. They just you, you, they all go in different directions. You should have um, told us that four months ago. Yeah, well, I, I guess I guess it didn't come up, but it's it is true. And so if you could do it, man, that, that's just fantastic. And I think what you're offering is is brilliant. And I think I think you're going to have a great response. And I think over time, you're going to get even more and more traction with that. Interestingly enough, and, and I'll go back maybe to the original question from a lesson, you know, from when I first we first talked or, or met Nate was through the work with Medicine Forward. Medicine Forward is really gaining some steam. We are getting lots of people interested in what we're doing. And, and a big part of it goes to what Mike was talking about, which is building that foundation, that structure. Like, do we know exactly what we want to be doing in five to 10 years? No, not necessarily, but we got a ton of energy. We got a ton of people who want to be involved. And, and back to the question again, one of the initial, one of the lessons I got through this was through a book we read called Multipliers, that historically there were times when I was an accidental diminisher, like inadvertently taking over a meeting as a physician when I really had no intention of doing that, as opposed to getting that multiplying effect out of people to get the best out of not only yourself, but the people that you're working with. Um, and I think that's how I got to uh, the title of my keynote, uh, which is called The Power of One Plus One. You know, it's not two in my mind. It's pick a number, hundred, thousand, you know, million, whatever. Like I think about the power of Joshua, my co-author and myself, like the number of lives we've had the the blessing to touch through this endeavor. It's in the thousands at this point and probably more than we'll ever know. Um, and that's exciting. And so to answer your question, realizing those times when I was that accidental diminisher, as opposed to being a multiplier was another very good lesson for sure. I'll give one more example. It's just helped me kind of wrap my head around this is, so we run a school down in Guatemala for, it's called the School for the Working Children. Man, there's probably been now a thousand plus kids that have gone through there. And I mean, it is a huge part of our life. But the reality is that a majority kind of go back to that same poverty lifestyle. They get sucked back in. But man, out of a thousand, you know, there's probably 20 like unbelievable life-changing stories and you just got to remind yourself that you're doing it for those 20. You're doing it to give everybody a shot, but you can't get beat down by the fact that 980 didn't get to that next level because for the 20, you change your world forever, you know? And same thing, you know, there's people probably read your book and they're like, all right, went on about their life and didn't, but there's people out there that it impacted their life forever and they became a multiplier, you know, and went back out there. And that, that's kind of been another, you know, big thing with this doing the summit is I would love to have thousand people that I could speak to and share this message with, you know, but the reality is if two people walk out of that room on Sunday and their life has changed forever, that's really what the summit was for, you know, and you just got to remember that, that, you know, if you could change one life and that person becomes a multiplier, you don't know, you know, how many more lives are going to be impacted down the road. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing is that keeps you going and keeps you pushing is you, you can't, 
you can't focus on the numbers and how many you got to focus on the impact and how big of a change, you know, is being created. Well, and I think this speaks to the the title we went with the podcast here, you know, in terms of wealth, allowing you to do some of these, you know, quote unquote, passion projects or devoting back to, you know, devoting your time, talent or treasure back to others. I bring that up a lot. Like, you know, for some people, it's their, um, their time such as you're doing some people it's their talent such as probably what we're all doing and for others it's their treasure like i had a just a recent example i was with a friend this past weekend and he we started talking about healthcare in the book and yada 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 you know i, I talk about it ad nauseum at times and of course my wife's probably sick of it at this point so um but he's like he he made the comment well what can i do you know i'm a chemist and and i said it doesn't mean that you have to be out there doing things like i'm doing talking and speaking and podcasts or whatever i said donate five bucks to medicine forward, donate 10 bucks to medicine forward, right? Like we need some, some funds to accomplish what we want to accomplish. Well, you donated a hundred bucks and I, you know, I wasn't expecting that, but I mean, how cool was that? Right. If simple conversation mm -hmm. led to supporting an initiative that we hope can really restore the, the doctor patient relationship over time. Yeah. And it's tough because when you make that donation or like um, I'm in Guatemala right now, actually, because we have a mission team coming down that we're going to be leading. You don't know that impact, you know, like he doesn't get to see what that hundred dollars does. He just has to trust that his heart was in the right place, put that hundred dollars out there and then has to trust the leaders of that organization, you know, and what you're doing, that that hundred bucks is going to be spent properly and it's going to make a change because that's the hardest part is when you give your time, you give your money, you want to see the reward. Like you sure. want to see the impact. And it's like, it makes it much easier to give if you immediately see that impact, but you just have to know that it's coming. You know, you put oh, that oh, good it, in the world and it's, it's going to do something, you know? Oh, it, it, it's coming. And I, I can't wait to unveil. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but uh, well, and because he's my friend, I'll, I'll text him constantly about where the the money went probably every 50 cents i'll give him an update or something i'm just <laughs> <laughs> all right nate you got you got some more questions buddy this has been fantastic so far you bet and i'm i'm saying this question uh just because i know both of you and i i think you both speak this very truly authenticity authenticity and doing the right thing even if it's something that takes longer to achieve that gratification todd in in, in the in the healthcare world i feel like there's such instant gratification with you know, high income of physicians, and then them not turning that into wealth. There's not that they want that instant gratification. Mike, same thing in the real estate world for us. You know, I don't want to call them competitors, but people who do something similar to what we do, they do it as a get rich scheme. Whereas we are a long term hold, we're trying to help people build wealth and build a balance sheet that is meaningful long term. It takes authenticity to do that. Why do both of you believe that authenticity, both personally and in business, is so important? Todd, you first. Wow. You know, oh, that's what that's, you can always tell when I just love a question and it's got my brain going to like the deepest recesses to try and find the right words. No, it's fantastic. As you both know, I wear my heart on my sleeve and authenticity and real relationship. I can't speak enough to how those have helped me in some of my darkest moments. You know, we all have our struggles. And, and, and when I was there recently with some, some personal struggles, every single one of my friends stepped up and supported me and expressed their love and that allows you to to get through those dark moments and continue to do the things that you love 
And for me, I loved seeing patients and I love trying to make a difference on a grand scale. And I think that authenticity from my perspective, whether it was in the book with Ripple of Change, whether it's with my patients when I was honest, whether it was with my friends, that has propelled me to what I think is going to be some amazing things to improve our healthcare landscape. So I know that was kind of a circuitous answer a little bit, but I think when you're authentic, you get the best from people. You know, you get the best from your friends, you get the best from your family, you get the best from your colleagues and you get the support and you get the belief. And, and over time, I tend to believe like the right things happen then, you know, if you're BSing somebody or not giving them the truth, when, when the, when push comes to shove, are they going to step up for you? Probably not, you know, but if you, if you're, if you're real and you're truthful and you're authentic, they probably will. Mike, I'll be quiet. I, I, I probably went on too long. No, that was man. Really good. man, for authenticity. I mean, for me, it just comes down to, you know, so there's two things, right? There's one side of it, which is selfish. Um, I think people mis, uh, misunderstand that authenticity is actually better for the human, you know, like to, to get somebody to say yes, to get somebody, you know, that moral injury takes a toll. And if you're not authentic and you have to go to sleep at night, knowing that you really wanted to say something and you said something else, or in the financial world, you really want to tell somebody, Hey, I don't think you should make that investment with us. I don't think you're in the right financial position, but I get them to do it anyways. That, uh, I guess guilt, you know, but like, I think it's categorized more as a moral injury time and time again. I think from a selfish standpoint, you are better off always being authentic. I think you'll sleep better at night. I think you'll feel better about yourself. And I think you'll personally be a better person. Um, and then on the other side, I just think, man, I think people can read through authenticity in the blink of an eye. I think, uh, nowadays we have AI and robots and people are talking about that, but I truly believe at the, at, the subconscious, the mind has the ability to read authenticity. I can't put a finger on it, but I think people can pick up very quickly whether somebody's authentic or not. Um, I'll give an example, man. I So I used to be a paramedic. I don't even know if you know that, Todd, but before my accident, I was a firefighter paramedic. And the most inauthentic thing that drove me absolutely nuts, man, if my chief hears this, he's going to be so mad, but we would go on ambulance calls and we'd have people that said, I don't have insurance. I can't go. I just needed you to check me out. And they don't get charged for us to come check them out. But the paramedics, I would, I would have that conversation and say, listen, here's what you need to look out for. If this changes, it might be more serious. You really need to go to the hospital, you know, but if it doesn't, I understand that you don't have insurance. We would have paramedics that would say, don't worry about the insurance. Don't worry about the cost. It's going to be fine. And it was all a CYA, which I don't know if you have CYA in the healthcare world, if you guys, but cover your ass. Everything's a CYA. They weren't doing what was best for the patient. They were doing what was best in case they got in trouble for not taking somebody to the hospital who needed to go. And at the end of the day, these people will get convinced, really manipulated to go to the hospital. We did an EKG. We checked them out. The only thing we can't do is blood work. We gave a very honest conversation. That person knows they don't have insurance. They can't afford it. They knew the risks they were taking. So you have an honest conversation and say, listen, if this changes, you do need to go. But right now, yes. But these other guys convince them to go. They'll get a $5,000 hospital bill that they can't afford. Mm -hmm. They'll yep. have all these bills that are going to turn into collections are going to follow them for the rest of their life. If it ends up being something big enough, it's going to turn into bankruptcy for them. And I'm like, this, this is manipulation. This is not authentic. This is for you, not for the patient. And your job is to do what's best for the patient, not only medically, but in this case, financially, this is going to cause so many problems for them. And 
I think like, I mean, these are my friends, you know, that were, that would do this. And it wasn't that they were being inauthentic or lying, but at the core of it, they were choosing themselves over the patient. They were choosing to avoid a tough conversation with the chief versus choosing what was best for the patient. And I think that inauthenticity, man, is just like, oh man, it just drives me insane. It just, it kills me to see that in the world because it just creates, it creates these barriers and these misbeliefs and these uh, inability to trust humans because of these little inauthentic moments time and time again, where we choose ourselves over what's best. And it, dude, I, you know, back to the money thing, that's why I truly believe you have to have total control of your finances because it is much easier to be an authentic human being when you have no financial concern holding over your head. You know, I mean, you just can, you can speak the truth and not be fearful of, can I pay my bills tomorrow if the other side doesn't agree with my truth, you know? Awesome. Good answers from both of you. That was awesome. Yeah, I, I think it, it comes back to being authentic is a lot easier because I feel like if you are inauthentic, things happen to you. If you're authentic, things happen for you. And I think it's just, it's just the belief that if you put good out in the world and you do the right thing, and to Mike's point, you don't have that negative conscious feeling when you lay your head on the pillow at night of like, man, I just, I was not my best person today, right? If you don't have that when you go to sleep, it is so much easier for the world and call it weird voodoo magic, uh, what you know, anything that's out there, call it what you want, but things happen for you in a positive manner when you put positive things out there. And I wholly believe that. And going back to my question of, uh, that I asked you guys earlier and you guys gave great responses, but like the biggest lesson I learned in 2023 was that like things don't happen to you. They happen for you. All the struggles, all the things Todd, you even said like when, when you were in your darkest hours, like those people closest to you in life were there to help you. Yeah. I had the same thing. The the men and women that were closest to me in life were there for me wholeheartedly in, in some dark times in 2023 but like now we're on the other side of that. And now yep. I can look back and say, I tried to stay as positive as I could and be my most authentic self when those things were happening. And I feel like it got me out of that sooner rather than later. I, I love that. And I would echo those sentiments, Nate, for sure. I, cause I've told people, I feel like the book is like this key that's just opening up doors that I never expected to be open so quickly or things to happen so fast. And I think it comes back to your comments or the question with authenticity. And, and Mike, I agree with you. I think people pick up on that. Like if you're full of shit, people are going to know that, you know, and, and it might get you so far. But I think ultimately the people who are being true to themselves and being true to others are, are going to go much further in life. And like you said, Nate, they can sleep well at night. Like I don't have a problem going to sleep at night at all. And, and you know, maybe that's because I have sleep apnea and I'm approaching 50 and, and so on and so forth. But <laughs> no, no, the, the, you know, the reality is I, I feel like I do the best I can and I feel like I have a clean conscience and, and man, you're, you're just not worrying about a lot of that stuff, you know, so on and so forth. So, um, all right, we've uh, we've definitely gone past the 30 minutes, you guys, which I know that was one of your goals today. Um, but we've only got so much time and we can only keep people's attention for so long. I think this is fantastic and, and definitely an opportunity to revisit some of this stuff because, you know, this podcast isn't just about fixing healthcare. It's about the beyond. And this is definitely one of those instances where, where I have two wonderful individuals slash friends talking about the beyond. So, Nate, um, Maybe before we get into one final question and perhaps some plugs for your guys' work, uh, let's do one more Ripple Challenge question here, and we'll just keep it simple. You know what I'm going to answer for this one, so I probably don't even need to do so. Uh, baseball cards or comic books? 
Can I say basketball cards? You can. We'll, we'll let that slide. <laughs> Super weird that you asked that question. Mike and I were literally just talking about this yesterday. So uh, recently, a LeBron James rookie card was sold for $1.8 million. And then he was talking about how his kids do Pokemon cards. We were talking about how we did basketball cards uh, when we were younger. I'm in Iowa. He's in the Chicago area. So we are big Bulls fans, Michael Jordan fans. I just feel like if, if there's actual tangible value to those cards, and, and, and this could translate, to, I guess, to comic books too. If there's actual tangible value where another person will give money in exchange for that, I think either one is a great thing. Basketball cards, I feel like there is a there's a heart to it as well. Like we grew up playing basketball and you just love the sport in general. And so when you have idols that are on these cards, I don't want to call them idols. When you have athletes that are on these cards, there's like an emotional attachment to it as well. And, and you may have that with comic books, uh, which was probably the genesis of your question. And so to say basketball card, to look at a basketball player and say, man, I, I played basketball. I love the sport. And there's actual tangible monetary value to this card. I think that's super cool. I just have never been one that's gone out. And I mean, I they're in some box somewhere in my house, uh, all these basketball cards when I have that I have somewhere. But I just feel like either there, there's a passion behind it. So either one is great. I just think I say basketball cards because I just have an emotional attachment to the sport having played it when I was younger. Well, and, and that's part of what collectibles are about, right? It's, you know, there's mm -hmm. a supply and demand component to it, but part of it's that passion, those emotions. You know, by the way, if you need help when you want to get rid of your basketball cards, you know where to go. I, yeah, I, might, know, I might know some guys. How about you, Mike? What do you say? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's definitely basketball cards. I just happened wasn't into comics growing up. Um, but it, it is wild to me, man, because I was into basketball cards as a kid and then I kind of got over that phase and who knows what box they're in somewhere, you know, they just were not an important part of my life at all. And now my kids are hitting about age nine, 10, 11, 12, and they're very into cards. All their friends are, they're trading them. We go to the store and I don't have that value of them anymore. I don't appreciate them like I used to. But I recognize that same joy and excitement that I had when I was their age. You know, right when we walk into the store, they want to go to the card aisle and see, yep. you know, what packs they can get. Um, so it's something just very unique to me of what that emotional and excitement is about, like, you know, that passion that collectibles can bring out in somebody. Um, because I hadn't had that passion in any sort of collectible for a long time. I, st I still don't personally, but I identified in my kids. It's very very cool to see how that process plays out. And I'm sure my parents were the same way at that age. They had some collectible that they cared, you know, tremendously about. So it's very unique to see how um, a uh, collectible can can bring out a passion and really like unite people. You know, their friends trade the cards and love it. And um, I don't know, I can't put my finger on what it is about those types of things that do it. But it is very unique to see and watch. Well, and it, there's actually, and you know, if you're creative with it, as you guys know, like I've made a lot of money on comic books, like a lot, a lot of money on comic books when you really think about it for, for some. Um, and, you know, so obviously my answer is comic books and you guys have heard about that before. I, I align very much with Peter Parker, the kid that was bullied and, and we don't need to get into all that, but um my See, son though, that's does. a perfect like i love that story right like so i aligned with michael jordan i just wanted to be like michael jordan you know and same thing like that peter parker like you you have that emotional oh yeah like, you know like man that's my guy you know if i could be yeah. like that guy that would be an amazing life 
with great power comes great responsibility. You know, that's a, <laughs> that's an important saying, but my son does Pokemon and my wife, I'll let him buy, you know, some cards for a hundred bucks or whatever. My wife's like, you let him buy a card for a hundred dollars. I'm like, sweetheart, he has done this repetitively where he'll buy a card for a hundred dollars, get it graded and sell it for five, you know, and he's 12 and I'm like, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> like the kid has made a small fortune on flipping Pokemon cards. I don't even know what his collection is worth right now. But this this was wonderful, guys. I don't know, Nate, did you have any other burning questions before maybe I offer you guys a chance to do some plugs here for your work and your website and the summit coming up? And, you know, if you can cover Trump, Jesus, Pokemon cards, comic books, <laughs> finances, and healthcare all in one show, we have done something well today. And in less than an hour. That's right. And it, that's right. <laughs> no, feel free. One more, if you guys want to impart one more thought or one more plug, and then I'll and then I'll wrap it up. I mean, I could just share if you want, Nate, what what Grand Vision's about, what we do. Um, so you know, same thing, Todd. You know my story a little bit. Um, for the past ten years or so, we worked with high. Well, Nate wasn't involved in the beginning. I brought him along for this next piece of the journey. Um, but we had worked with high net worth individuals, you know, and really kind of got an idea behind that. And then basically what after my accident, you know, on physicians changed my world. Um, and now, unfortunately, we're dealing with more physicians because my wife has a chronic illness that we're dealing with. Um, but they've just had such a huge impact in my life personally. Um, so that's what we just kind of decided to do. Add the physicians financial summit and add some training and helping physicians to try to get to that level. Uh, most of the people we work with, they don't need our training. They need our, you know, operations. They need what we do. They want to partner with us and work with us. Um, we just kind of want to add this education piece and kind of training piece to try to help more physicians get to that level. Um, out of our, what do we have? 35, 40 people, investors with us now. Um, mm -hmm. Not one of them is a physician, you know, and we know a ton of physicians. So just really trying to use the Physicians Financial Summit and use, you know, some of our social media platforms and stuff to just try to train and help show them you know, how we've gotten here and how the 35, 40 people that work with us now, what they did to get to that level. Um, and just trying to kind of pass that on and try to, you know, I mean, I say it's giving back, but it's like, I mean, I don't know, dude, I look at, I, we help run a school in Guatemala with impoverished kids. Like I see, I see that word is like more giving back, you know, but this is like, it is also a way of giving back. It's just weird when you're working with people that make money, it's like weird to say giving back, but it is a piece that many can benefit from um and there's not just there's just really not a lot of tools out there um you know that that are doing this there's a few but i mean you could count them on one hand for sure the number of ways that physicians can learn the financial world and really how to get to that next level well i'm excited to to be at the the summit next month i think it's going to be fantastic i'm very much looking forward to it nate did you want to add anything there yeah, i was just going to piggyback on mike's thing it, it really it, giving back does say seem a little strange um, you know, to, to talk to a physician and their wife, you know, I have a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations with physicians and their, their families, uh, about finances. And so to sit across from someone that's making $700,000 a year and feel like I'm giving back to them feels a little weird. Uh, but also I have to think back to the years of, uh, financial learning that Mike and I built during the same time that physicians were doing years and years of medical training and not getting the financial training. Right. Mm -hmm. That's just not something that's taught in medical school, residency, fellowships. There's not finance and business that's taught. And so in a sense, it is giving back, but it's it's more just filling that gap in their financial or in their knowledge spectrum, I guess I would call it, that they just didn't have an opportunity to learn because they dedicated years of their life to medicine. And so I think 
when we when we started Grand Vision, it was it was about helping physicians, helping you know high net worth people or high income earning people get into real estate. And it's kind of morphed into how else can we give back? How else can we be diversified in what we're offering to these people other than just real estate? Uh, real estate uh, again is kind of the tool that we use to help people build wealth. Uh, but to add knowledge on top of that, I think is it's an incredible tool to put in their toolbox then to have that knowledge. Um, and, and for us to be able to provide that, uh, it's, it's very gratifying. Well, this was fantastic. And it, you know, just to reiterate uh, a couple things here, uh, the doctors and dollars podcast, uh, Nate is the host for that. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I had the pleasure of being a guest on that. Um, so if you're interested, definitely check it out. Um, and then their website is grandvision.co and their website is amazing. Uh, let's just say there's comments about aligned incentives on there, which I'm a huge believer on. And there's also an opportunity for a second opinion. So if you're interested, check it out. So as always, I'll end with what positive ripple of change will you create today?